Okay, today we're in Genesis chapter 21, and I'm not 100% sure how much of this chapter we will get done. Uh, maybe all of it, maybe not. So we're going to start out looking at the first 20 verses of Genesis chapter 21. But where did we leave off? Last time, Abraham and Sarah had, and their troop had sojourned down into the Negev. And you remember the Negev is south of Israel. It's kind of an open plain down there, uh, east of Egypt. And they were down in that general area, uh, maybe what you might call southern Israel, depending on what part they were in. And while they're there, they meet a king called Abimelech. He's king of the Gerar. There's kind of a river valley down there that that's probably what was named after. And Abraham always had a concern. You remember what Abraham's concern was as they traveled around? Yeah, his wife is beautiful. They'll kill him so they can have his wife. And so he did what we found out in the reading of uh, our text last time. They had been doing for about 25 years. They had agreed. Abraham had asked her to say she was her sister, meaning Sarah, uh, Sarai at the time. And so that happens again. And Abimelech uh, takes Sarah to his own uh, dwelling with the intention of making her a wife. An angel appears to Abimelech. And what, is, what are his words according to uh, Moses that were recorded? You're a dead man. And why is that? Well, this woman that you've taken is married. And... So Abimelech has this little interaction with God and says, hey, I'm, nothing's happened here. And God said, yeah, I know, I kept that from occurring. Um, so Abimelech's not too happy. Uh, God tells him uh, in this encounter that he needs to restore Sarah and make peace with Abraham because Abraham is a prophet and that he might pray for you. And so Abimelech uh, takes gifts back to Abraham uh, sheep, oxen, and servants are what he gives to him. He, of course, says, Abraham, why'd you do this, you know? And Abraham has this little story about, well, she really is my half-sister. But anyway, he also then provides a thousand pieces of silver to Abraham on behalf of Sarah. And this is his way of pledging that she is vindicated. Her testimony is good and strong and sound. There's not been any, anything inappropriate here. And that, that was a fairly common way to, to um, say this person is above reproach. He also says to Abraham, settle where you want. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Pick ground you like, settle there. As well as the fact that Abraham prayed for Abimelech's household. household. And I don't know what the evidence of this was prior to Abimelech and so on, but that restored fertility to the household. Prior to that, God was like, you're not having any children until Abraham did this prayer and then, then things went back to a more normal uh, situation for reproduction and all that. So with that said, now we come into chapter 21 and we return back to Sarah and Abraham and a few other things. So let's read uh, Abra uh, Genesis 21. 1 through 20, looking for a volunteer to help us out with that. Now the Lord ascended to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. So Sarah conceived. 
son to Abraham in his old age, at that very at the very time God had promised. And Abraham gave I, the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore to him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God has commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Then Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears of this will laugh with me. She added, Who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse him? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking her son. And she said to Abraham, Expel the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance of my son, Isaac. Now this matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to everything that Sarah tells you, for through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. But I will also make a nation of the slave woman's son, because he is your offspring. <coughs> Early the next morning, Abraham got up, took the bread and a skin of water, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her away with the boy. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away and said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. And as she sat nearby, she lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. What is wrong, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he lies. Get up, lift up the boy, and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the wine, filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up and settled in the wilderness. <coughs> And he became a great archer. And while he was dwelling in the wilderness of Paran, his mother got a wife for him in the land of Egypt. Thank you. I'm glad you read 21 because that's what I should have asked you for to begin with. So that's good. So we have quite a little bit goes on here in Genesis 21 and some things yet that we didn't read. But in verse 1, it says, The Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, as he had promised. What was the promise to Sarah? Bear a child. Let's go back and look at that. Gen Let's start with Genesis 15, 18 to 22. Let's just go back and look at that for a minute. Genesis 15, 18 to 22. And that is not the right set of verses. <laughs> So let's go to Genesis 18, 9 through 15. We'll skip that reference that I messed up. This is when some, sometimes it says men, sometimes it says angels, and before he's done, he's gonna go, Abraham's going to have a conversation with God. But it's in that encounter with these men when they show up, and Abraham shows them hospitality. It's also the time they're going to announce uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But let's read 18, 9 through 15. And I'm looking for a volunteer again. Then they, then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So we said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return 
to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah has passed, had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Okay. Yeah, keep, go, go through 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So this is about a year previous. Um, another way that time of life can be correctly translated is about this time next year. And so about a year later, they say, we're going to be back, and uh, then you will, you will have a child. And so, so here's a question for you. How old is Abraham at this point? He's 100. That's right. And Sarah is how old? 90. That's right. Uh, looking at verse 2, of Genesis 21 um, it says so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him and that's the passages we were looking at earlier we're not going to turn to it but in Genesis 17 we find out that uh, 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 Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born so um, that that time fits and uh, and, of course, back in 18, we started the same season a year later. So we're a year later, and here's Isaac has been born. Now, he hasn't named Isaac yet, but we'll see that in verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah had born to him, Isaac. Anybody know what Isaac means? Laughed. Uh, laughter. Um, he laughs is one way of, of putting it. Um, and then in verse 4, we see that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. When did this command occur? Where did it come from? Back in the promise. Back in Genesis 17, God initiated circumcision as the sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And Abraham, all, everybody in his household, male servants, anybody that was going to be a part of Abraham's troop, group, uh, the people of his home were to be circumcised. And, from, and it was anyone eight days old or older, which established the eighth day as the day of circumcision. <clears throat> now Abraham, in verse 5, was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. We spent a lot of time talking about Abraham's age and, uh, and not a lot about uh, Sarah. But in verse 6, then, Sarah goes on to say, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And so that ties in this name of Isaac being laughter. It's interesting that the word she uses for laughter here is only used in one other place in the Old Testament, and that's in Ezekiel. And there, it is, it, it, it's the alternative use. It's derision. It's make fun of kind of laughter. It's laughing at somebody. 
uh, it's pretty clear from the context here that this word can mean, you know, a pleasurable laugh. And so she says that, you know, they're going to, they will laugh with me, not at me. So it, clearly this is not, a, not a, a bad thing that this laughter will occur. But why, what, it, what is the laughter about? It's because she is at this age having a child. Verse 7, continuing right along. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now Sarah asks a question. Was she expecting an answer? No, this is the kind of question that really is stating something. What's she saying? This isn't hard. This is the... I mean, um, people did live a little longer in this time, but how many 90-year-old women with 100-year-old husbands would you anticipate had babies this last year? Uh, it just isn't what happens. Uh, and so she said that. But let me ask the question a little differently. Who would have answered this question? Well, I did. <laughs> What's that? God himself. And by this point, probably Abraham as well and Sarah. But... Uh, certainly this was not what people would have expected in this age. Now, I'll tell you why I think pretty much it's a certainty that Sarah would have said, well, of course I did. Let's read Hebrews 11, 11, and 12. This is important insight into some things that it are not spelled out with the kind of clarity or emphasis that could have been spelled out here in Genesis, but through the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 11, 11 and 12, we can see it spelled, spelled out with some emphasis. Who's got Hebrews 11, 11 and 12 for us? Go ahead. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on by the seashore. So the writer of Hebrews makes it clear through the Holy Spirit's inspiration here that her faith was sound as they were coming up upon the time of her becoming pregnant, that she trusted that God would do what he said. And uh, despite the fact this was pretty fantastic, even in their era, <clears throat> and then we come to verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So on the day that this occurred, um, <clears throat> when they said, okay, this, this chapter on Isaac is closing, he's now a weaned baby, Abraham had a great feast. In this era, that was typically age 2 or 3. Um, and so here is this great feast. So how old is the boy now? Two or three. How old is, Isaac, is, is uh, Abraham now? 103, 102, something like that. They have this great feast. And so everything is just coming along wonderfully, but we get into verse 9. Now, meaning at, after these things, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking so who is this Egyptian? What's his name? Ishmael. Ishmael. 
and he is mocking. And obviously, who is he mocking? Isaac. Um, is it unusual for siblings to poke fun at each other? No. However, we need to get the right mental image going here. So, first of all, it says he's an Egyptian. Why would it say he's an Egyptian? <coughs> What's that? He, Hagar was an Egyptian slave that had come into their house as, Abraham, as uh, Sarah's maid, and through the customs she had offered up this maid uh, to Abraham as a means of having the child that she wasn't able to bear. And, of course, this wasn't what God's real plan was, and they found out after they had gone through their own actions trying to solve their own problems in their own worldly insight ways. And um, Ishmael was conceived and born, uh, and it um, has been a challenge. Now, here's the question. When we imagine these two kids, two children, one the older mocking the younger, how old is Ishmael? Well, let's look at Genesis 16, 16. Gen so Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. How old is Abraham now? So how old is Ishmael? 16, 17, somewhere in that range. Does that kind of change the way this whole situation looks? A 16-year-old brother mocking a 2-year-old, poking fun at him. This 2-year-old, 3-year-old might get it, but I mean, this, this is kind of, you would expect more maturity out of a teenager, wouldn't you? Well, maybe. I guess it depends on the day. But, but this isn't like an 8-year-old and a 3-year-old or even a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old. This is a child 16 or 17. Um, so there's about 14 years difference between them. And here's Ishmael mocking Isaac. Why might Ishmael be inclined to do that? Jealousy. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for jealousy. Why? What, what would he be jealous of? <clears throat> yeah, here's, this, here's this upstart that comes along. And Ishmael was born for the purpose of being the heir of Abraham in the eyes of Abraham and Sarah and, and his mother Hagar. Now, things don't go well between Hagar and Sarah. This isn't the first time that they would have an interaction. Back when she was first pregnant, uh, she, Hagar became a mocking in attitude toward Sarah. And Sarah said, that's not okay. And Hagar, to relieve herself of the way she was being treated by Sarah, ran off. And God appears to Hagar, remember all that? And said, go back, serve her well, do what she says, you're going to have a son. And what does God say he's going to do for that son in just general terms? He's going to make him a great nation. So uh, there are promises for Ishmael. But you can imagine the way things changed in the house 
when Isaac was born. Now we have a real heir. How would you feel if you were Ishmael? Well, I guess I wasn't a real heir. Uh, Second-rate citizen. Not really, not really the child that's getting all the attention. Um, so let's look at verse 11, and we'll even talk a little more about that. Verse 11 said, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So Abraham was in distress. Oh, wait a minute. I skipped 10, didn't I? Therefore she said to Abraham, this is Sarah, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Get rid of the competition. I want them gone. Well, in verse uh, 12 then, or 11, we see that Abraham is very distressed by this. Why would he be distressed? Ishmael's his son too. Ishmael is, as it said in the verse, his son. Um, and there is a fondness and a joy that Abraham has been taking in Ishmael. Go back to Genesis 18, 18. When God <clears throat> tells Abraham, no, again, no, Ishmael is not going to be your heir, but I will send you an heir through your relationship with Sarah. That son will be the heir. <clears throat> Abraham says something interesting there in uh, verse 18 of chapter 18. What does he say? Abraham's words. Who's got it? And Abraham was shown from the grave a mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I think we missed it a little bit. Either I did or you did. 1818? Yeah. Uh oh. Well, let's see what I did wrong. Um, Maybe I'm in the wrong chapter. Um, that's easy to do when you're doing that. Uh, okay, I am in the wrong chapter. Go back to chapter 17. This is, this is what Abraham said when he was told, no, you're going to have a child through Sarah that will be the heir. What, is he, what, is God, what does he say to God right here in, in verse 18? Somebody read that, 17, 18. What did Abraham ask of God at this point? Let Ishmael be the heir. He's already fond of Ishmael. He's got a relationship with Ishmael. I mean, it's, it's not a small thing here. And uh, God in verse 19 says, no. Um, there's another reason why this might have troubled Abraham. And that was in the time they lived, there were several different ways we can go back and research this. A key one is the code of Hammurabi, which, Hammurabi, which is at the same basic time as Abraham is being founded as the father of the Jews. And they address this issue of you have a maid, she bears a son to be the heir, and then you have a son through the wife, so that becomes the real heir. And in the Code of Hammurabi, it says that the maid cannot be sent out. So the social expectations would have been it would be mistreating 
the maid at that point to say, okay, now that we've got a real heir, so to speak, that's my way of saying it, you're gone. Uh, they had to, by that code, they would have had to have kept the maid in the house and still treated her as part of the, the group um, through the rest of her life. But that, so Abraham is distressed. Sarah's saying, send her and the, and the son out, send, send Hagar and Ishmael out. Because of his son, it tells us in verse 11, it distressed Abraham. Also got some social customs that would have been part of the time as well for him. And so then in verse 12, let me get back over to chapter 21. In verse 12, um, God addresses his discomfort. And God said to Abraham, don't be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendant shall be named. So God here affirms, no, it's going to be Isaac. It's a repeat of what we read over in Genesis 17 earlier about you're going to have a son through with Sarah. That's where she laughs. And so listen to Sarah. I'm focused on Isaac, God says, so listen to Sarah, which means give heed to what she says and uh, consider doing what she's asking for. In verse 13, God goes on to say to Abraham, by the way, also, the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. And that's kind of key information. Sometimes it's easy for those of us who recognize that Isaac is the rightful heir of Abraham. He's the rightful heir of the promise. He's the child of the promise, words from the New Testament. And so we see Israel and the descendants of Abraham as Israelites, as Jews, as being the rightful people for that area. And see the Arab kind of, a, hey, we've got Abraham's our father. Well, there's some legitimacy to that. Now, it isn't to the point that they should have been equal with the Israelites or anything like that, but you can see even from the Old Testament that those Arabs had a place as Abraham's descendants and that they would be a great nation even if not the ones that would receive the promise that was given to Abraham and inherit that. And so we know that, that they're going to be a great nation in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered around in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Abraham gets up early in the morning and you can kind of imagine, um, okay, I don't really, my emotions might not be in all in favor of this, but we're going to do it. Let's get it done. He gets up early in the morning. He gives Hagar, focuses on Hagar here. Now, this, this is a 16 or 17-year-old child. It's not some little boy she's wandering around with. Uh, but he gives her bread. And by the way, any other translations for bread that you guys read there in verse 14? I think everybody translated the same. But in reality, that, the, the common translation of that is bread. Okay? But there's a number of places where it's also used to mean food in general, even meat at times, this word gets used, where it's clear from the context they're talking about meat. 
So uh, probably bread, but might have been other kinds of things too. And a skin of water. Uh, anybody got a King James that they're reading from? It might have said bottle actually there. But anyway, she's got this container for water. She puts it on her shoulders and away she goes. Um, and uh, she get, he gave her the boy, which means that probably if you think about it, Ishmael was probably spending a lot of his time living with Abraham as much as with Hagar. Um, and so, but Abraham presents the boy to her, gives her to her, and away they go. And he sent her away, and she departed for the wilderness of Beersheba, which this is a little interesting if we have time to get in, and we probably won't. The last verses of this chapter, uh, we find out how the name of Beersheba comes to be. So at the time that Moses is writing, everybody knew the area as Beersheba, but it hasn't technically yet been named Beersheba, but it's that area. And Beersheba uh, is um, on the south edge of Israel. So it's not far from the Negev, probably north of the Negev a little bit. And so she goes to this wilderness. That just means an uninhabited area at this time. It not necessarily likes a desert, but just an area where it's not a lot of people living. And um, away she goes. Now, it doesn't go real well for her. She's wandering around out there. I, I try to picture this woman with her teenage boy wandering out there. It just kind of sounds like it was aimless and pointless, like she didn't have any hope of anything. I don't know that that's right, but here she is wandering in this wilderness, not headed anywhere, it doesn't seem. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat down opposite to him and lifted up her voice and wept. So here's this woman. She puts her son under the, a bush, and she goes over and finds uh, a way opposite him, far enough away she can't see him because she doesn't want to watch him die and begins to cry. Um lifted up her voice and wept. So she's wailing. It's more than just the tears. She's, she's wailing. It's interesting how verse 17 starts. Oh, uh, verse 17 starts, God heard what? The lad crying. He's not paying a lot of attention to Hagar. She's the one out there moaning and groaning. But he hears the lad crying and he goes, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter with you, Hagar? I think it would be hard to read this and not read it like we might think of it today. What is your problem? I mean, how, how else could you interpret this? Uh, what are you doing? Don't fear. God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And so... Um, It's interesting, he heard Ishmael, but, and, and even in this, it, I heard the lad. It's, the lad, Ishmael, is the one bringing, being brought up into prominence in God's thoughts here, but yet he's giving his directions to the adult, to Hagar, and says in verse 18, Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And so... Um, God is making it clear... There's a promise for him. 
Now we know that Abraham was aware of that. We don't know what Hagar was fully aware of. But go back to Genesis 16, verses 7 through 12. Genesis 16, 7 through 12. Let's hope I got these right. Didn't look at the top of the page wrongly. So this is when Hagar has departed from Sarah because of the way Sarah was treating her. And this is a part of what God says to her at that time. Somebody read that for us. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. More? Yeah, go down through uh, 12. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, For further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given me heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Okay. So there were some things in this encounter between God and Hagar when she first was at the point that she had conceived. And so there's some promises, some clear things said by God to her about what's going to happen with Ishmael after he's born. And what did he say? That Ishmael was going to go out and die under a bush? No. What did God say? Going to make him a great nation. Kind of a backward sounding fella. I don't know that I would want God telling me my offspring was going to be a wild donkey of a person. But nonetheless, you know, it encouraged Hagar at the time, and she went back and did what God said, but apparently she's not really acting out of faith in what he said. She's either forgotten it with the 17 years that have gone by, or she really isn't believing it. Um, go over to uh, Genesis 17:20. Now this is a little different. Um, this is God talking to Abraham, not Hagar. And let's read what he says he's going to do with Ishmael in verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. So when Abraham says, let Ishmael live in your sight, God says, no. But he does talk about what he is going to do for Ishmael. And it's interesting because a part of it is, ask for Ishmael, I have heard you. Meaning, I'm recognizing this is important to you and I'm responding to it out of that importance you have. I'm going to bless him, make him fruitful, and he will multiply him exceedingly and he shall become the father of 12 princes or rulers and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, in verse 21, I will establish with Isaac. So there's this clear difference. Isaac gets the covenant but Ishmael is going to be a great leader, a great nation as well. 
And so uh, we recognize that God told this to Abraham, and apparently um, he should still be expecting this, but it's certainly not what Hagar is expecting, at least at these moments out in the wilderness. Go back to verse 18 in chapter 21. God tells, <coughs> God tells Hagar, Arise up, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, and I will make a great nation of him. So he's given, come on, get, get with it. Encourage the boy. Let's go. In verse 19, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. What does it mean, and he opened her eyes? How does that fit into this story? When you picture this, what, what's going on here? Was the well there all the time? So why had God not already opened her eyes? Do you suppose? We're, we're, we don't have the mind of God here, but... Yeah, um, he's probably looking at this going, she's not depending on me. She, she needs to be readjusted because she's in despair. She thinks she's been sent out to die. Kind of like you'd send the, the scapegoat out into the wilderness to get rid of your sins. Shoo, get away, we're done with you, go die. Uh, that's kind of how she's acting at least, wandering around till the water ran out. Um, and so God lets her find that moment of despair where she is crying out. She's She's teachable at this moment. And so God tells her, this is what I'm going to do. And then, of course, this is, the miracle is mostly not letting her see before, right? But God gives her something to, to, to bank on in the future, to know that this was a sign to her that God really was looking out for her. He opened her eyes so she could see the well. And she goes over and gives him water to drink. And then we get to verse 20, it says, And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an archer. So, God was with him. God prospered him. He became an archer. He was, he was skilled with a bow. And he stayed in this wilderness area and survived. And he lived in the wilderness, verse 21, of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so... I didn't write it down, so now I'm going to have to work and remember where Paran was, and I don't. Um, <laughs> I looked it up, but I, I didn't stay with it. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, nope, that's a different piece. Um, right, it's down in the Sinai area. Um, by the way, now I remember what I read even. They happen to have a name for that area today. It's called Arabia. So this is the this is the beginning of the Arab race, Ishmael, and and it was in that area. <clears throat> it's interesting that he is about half Egyptian, so there's a a strong Egyptian component of their heritage. But uh, yes, sir. Um, so did she stay with her son in Paran? I believe that's exactly what happened. But there's we, don't, we lose track of how all that occurs until much later in the, in the Old Testament when they start having conflicts. 
with people of Ishmael's descent. Uh, and they don't really get in, tell us a lot more than we get right here about how the Arabic peoples progressed and moved forward and, and all of those things. So we, we don't get much detail moving forward from here. Don't know how long Hagar lived, don't know how long Ishmael lived. Um, although I think we're going to see him again a little later in the book. Uh, so he, I mean, but we just don't get as many details. So I, I, I would want to start anything I said with the same thing you said. I don't know much about Islam, uh, but I do know that they do have a narrative that moves forward through through the development of their of their nation. But I don't know much about it, uh, so I can't really give you any any good insights there. So what I would like to do now, uh, anybody have any questions or comments about this? <coughs> parting of the ways and the birth of Isaac? I would just say it's interesting because Hagar was the one that named God the God who sees. Uh-huh. That is interesting. That interesting play. It's, it's always interesting to me how God and his composure of literacy, he uses all these different techniques and different things that way. And here's Hagar who says, oh, God sees me. Not seeing that God sees her now and not even seeing the well in front of her face. And, and so yeah, there's a there's some definite differences between Hagar's responses and Abraham and Sarah's responses in terms of interacting with God, certainly. And those words bring that out. Anything else? Well, let's go ahead. I would like to cover this today. Let's let's look at the rest of this chapter, verses 22 <coughs> through 34. It's a pretty simple encounter. Um, and so let's let's take a look at it. There are a few interesting things we can we can see in there, but I'd like to see if I can find a volunteer to read 22 through 34 of this same chapter. Alan, do you have that one? Sorry, called on you when you weren't ready. Genesis 21, 22 through the end of the chapter. At that time, Amalek and Philcol the commander of his army said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Amlek about a well of water that Amlek's servant had seized. <clears throat> Amlek said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard it until today. I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Amlek, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham said, set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Amlek said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you <clears throat> will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. 
Therefore that place was called Beersheba because there were because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant with Beersheba at Beersheba. Then Amlek and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in the in the in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. All right. So what happens here is Abimelech, remember who's Abimelech? He's the king over this area that Abraham had come to, right? And he told Abraham, find a place, you know, you can settle anywhere here you want. Uh, seeing him as a prophet, appreciating the prayers over him. So apparently Abraham had stayed there because we find out he's still there. Now, there was a time when Abimelech and Phicol, his commander of the army, came to Abraham, and what they said is, God is with you in all that you do. In other words, we admire you. It's clear that God is behind you. Therefore, swear to me here by God, so you're testifying in front of God, that you will not deal falsely with me. <laughs> God's with you in all you do. You're a wonderful guy. Oh, by the way, would you please not lie to me? Uh, or with my offspring or my posterity, but according to the kindness that I've shown to you, show to me in the land which you have sojourned. In other words, I've shown you kindness. Please don't lie to me. Please treat, be, deal fairly with me, my descendants, and all that I've, that I've made here, this kingdom that we've raised up. And because we've been kind to you, be kind to us. And Abraham said, I will swear it. Verse 25, but Abraham has to bring to Abimelech a problem. There was a well that Abraham had dug, but the servants of Abimelech had seized it from him. So Abraham brings that up in the course of trying to set up this agreement between them. And Abimelech said, I don't know who, who has done this thing, and you did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until the day. So Abimelech says, new news to me. And, uh, but it's clear from what happens that Abimelech is restoring that well to Abraham. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. So they did agree. Abraham gave back some gifts, or gave some, not back some gifts, but gave him some gifts. But Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And this created some curiosity on the part of Abimelech. Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean which you set by themselves? And Abraham said, You take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, so it may be a witness for me that I dug the well. In other words, this is my, my, my pledge giving you these ewe lambs that I really did dig this well. I'm not, I'm not dealing falsely with you like he was asked not to do. And so as, a, as Abimelech takes these, he's saying, yes, I agree. It's a little bit like the money that Abimelech gave Abraham as a pledge regarding Sarah's uprightness that she, she was vindicated in that little encounter where she's my sister and she's really my wife business. And so he takes those ewe lambs. And uh, they therefore he, Abraham, called the place Beersheba. So here's where that name Beersheba comes from. And that literally means, uh, did I not write it down? Seven lambs, seven Lambs of, um, ah, word covenant. 
Um, so it's a seven lamb covenant, and that's why they called it. It's a well of seven lambs of covenant. And so uh, that's the where Beersheba comes from, and uh, or seven lambs of an oath, because the two of them took an oath there. So they made the covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So what is the land of the Philistines? Well, the land of the Philistines is there on the southern coast of the Mediterranean for Israel. And the Philistines, that area of the Philistines, the Philistine people are descendants of Aegean traders. So what's Aegea? Well, that's kind of an area, kind of. It is an area around Greece. There's a number of, of uh, regions around there that are called the Aegean area, and they have migrated as traders over to this coastal area. They were typically did their trading by ship to the southwest coast of what's now Canaan, and they then are the forefathers of the 12th century Philistines that we're going to see be a problem when they come out of Egypt and begin having all of their battles. These Philistines over there, they're Greek descendants and traders that have inhabited this southeastern area, southwestern area of Canaan there along the Mediterranean coast. And so uh, Abimelech and his uh, general, they kind of head back toward the Philistine area where Abraham was was probably there on the very edge of what we might call the Philistine area. And Abraham planted this tamarisk tree at Beersheba as a symbol for, we made this oath here so it would be a reminder of what they had done. And when he planted this tree, he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And so Abraham is worshiping again. We see him do that. And verse 34 Abraham sojourned in the land of Philistines for many days. So he stayed there in that area and continued to operate out of that area for some time to come. How many days? What's many days? I don't know. But um, that's what, what he did, and that's where he stayed until we move on here in the book. Questions? Comments? I thought that would take be hard to do in 15 minutes. I did it in 10 so I must have skipped something, but, but it's a pretty simple story. He and Abimelech are having this encounter based on him staying in that area after the encounter between them regarding Sarah and her future. Questions or comments? Well, the reason I wanted to do that today is verse chapter 22 starts out with the offering of Isaac. And I didn't know if I'd have time to put that on the back of today's lesson. I certainly didn't want to delay to have to start there and so we'll be able to start cleanly next time with uh, Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. Yes sir? Well isn't it consistent that today all the turmoil in the Middle East could be traced back to Ishmael being a donkey of a man and everybody was fighting or is that a leap that is too far? Well I don't think that's a bad leap, and you're just getting my opinion, and I'm not an expert, certainly not an expert on Middle Eastern relations. Uh, there, there's a lot of inputs to this, not the smallest of which <clears throat> is if you look at 
the establishment of the nation of Israel after the Egyptian um, time that they're kept in ca as slaves, when they come out of Egypt, they go to a land that's inhabited by others. I mean, this is the land of Canaan, and we studied about Canaan and the curse of Canaan and all that previously. Um, and so they go into this area that's not theirs, and through the power of God and might of God and the judgment of God, they're called upon to, for the most part, there was a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, kill everybody. Well, that doesn't make you very popular. Um, and the, the Israelites didn't follow God's directions exactly. They made treaties with groups that they were afraid of, that God didn't allow them that option. And so you see groups of people that continue to be a problem throughout the entire time that the nation of Israel was a strong nation, even under David. The problems were pretty well set aside, but it's no... It's no surprise that God said to David, you can't build me a temple. You've got too much blood on your hands. Because it was a, a, it was a very warring situation that David was able to use, or not use necessarily, but that let David lead the nation to be a strong nation. They had to put down a lot of people. And even in the time of his sin with Bathsheba, the wars are still going on, right? He's got a battle going on that he used as his method to put to death Bathsheba's husband. So that, that was never peaceful. The Israelites were always the invaders. There were always groups of people that felt like Israel should not have been holding that ground. That was really their ground, and these Israelites came in and took it from them. And you see that continuing even up in, into the time of Christ. It's, you know, when it was very clear it was a problem that Her to the Israelites that Herod, what is it? Herod was an Edomite. Who's an Edomite? Now we're looking at a descendant of Esau. So they continued to have problems with their own kinfolk, uh, whether they be descendants of Ishmael descendants of Esau or descendants of other people throughout the world that it had come to be after the flood. And it just never ended. And when we look at the book of Revelation, it's not going to end. The whole world's going to be ready to come and make war against Israel. And a lot of the issue is <clears throat> Israel worships a God, the creator God, that holds people accountable that expects a faithful relationship with him in order to not be under his judgment. And a lot of the world's just not ready for that. It's the same issue for Christians, right? The world just isn't ready for there to be placed in front of them a God that they have to be accountable to, that they have to have faith in and avail themselves upon what God provides for them for justification. People want to justify themselves. Uh, to really Americanize it, they want to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They want that. I want to do it. Well, you can't do it, and that's just not a ready, welcome message. I don't know if that helps. Any other questions or comments? 
Well, let me pray and we'll rejoin the rest of the folks. Father, thank you for giving us this history so that we can see how the world that we live in today came to be and how you established Abraham and even in the midst of it established Ishmael and his descendants. Lord, out of the conflicts that come in life, you do your work and your purposes are never unmet. Lord, do your purposes in our life. Help us to see how we need to be faithful in believing in you, but also in how we act in response to our belief in you and what we put our hope and trust in, meaning the person of Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen.